Welcome to Bang on the Money, the feminist financial podcast aiming to smash the taboo around money through honest conversations about mistakes made, lessons learned, and the money myths that hold us back. This podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Alice Tapper is the founder of GoFundYourself, an online platform and community which makes personal finance relatable. Her book, GoFundYourself, has five sections, learn it, earn it, start it, spend it, and invest it. It covers everything from the history of money and consumerism to financial mindsets. In her chapter, How to Make Decisions, she writes, we have two options. Either we make our choices based on what other people think according to their models of success, or we write our own rules and build our own model underpinned by our understanding of who we are and our skills, strengths and interests. It's only in understanding what you want that you can chase it with all the ambition and determination that you have. Because whilst it's miserable to not get what you want, it's even more so when it's all over, you discover that what you've been chasing isn't what you wanted after all. So often we blindly follow the path of least resistance, particularly when it comes to our careers and how we earn money, um, following maybe what our family thinks is a good idea, what society says we should do, um, not really stopping to think or question what it is that drives us and what motivates us. Um, it was actually my favourite chapter in the book. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that it was, it was a book where I've obviously read it at 23 and I kind of wish that I'd had it at 16 when you were doing career advice and how you just got no signposts at all and you did those stupid tests. Did yeah. you, did you yes, have to do those? Yes, and they say that you should be... I think I got told I should be a librarian. <laughs> Like, yeah, thank you. Just no writing the books rather than organising yeah, exactly. the Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, no, I completely agree. And I think the other thing that I really resonated with me is that when you are looking for your first job, you're so desperate to get a job that you just go for whatever you yeah. can get. And in some ways, rightly so, because you do need to get a job yeah. for lots of people. But then you also realise that you've got to stay there for yeah. quite a long time. And then you're also kind of already boxed into an industry yeah. in some ways. And then it's more difficult to break out yeah. into whatever you do want to do afterwards. So yeah, just exactly. taking more time to think about what success means to you, where you want to go. Totally. It's so important. And particularly in our 20s where it's like this rat race to get it all sorted before you're 30. It's like Why do we looming, feel like that? Yeah, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It's this like looming benchmark of success that if you don't have it all it's sorted so by fake. then... it's so fake. It just yeah. doesn't mean anything. Exactly. And then you actually speak to people who are older and you're, yeah. and you're just like, well, it doesn't matter. Exactly. And I think it's partly because the education system is, is quite linear and it is much, it's kind of about narrowing down your options until you finally reach the career that you should, you know, follow for the rest of your days. Mm. Um, but I think what the way that I think about it in the context of money is that so often we're focused on how you're spending it and the, the details around it, whereas actually money runs through every part of our life and and it starts with earning it that's how you that's how you get it in the first place so whilst it's great pushing for a pay rise and thinking about ices and pensions if you're not happy or if you're not I guess in line with your model of success or actually that sounds really idealistic at least working towards it Mm. um it's kind of like what's the point so I think it's trying to get people to think holistically about Mm. money and how it flows throughout every aspect of your life Mm -hmm. not just what you do with it when it lands in your account yeah so one of the other things I really liked is you did the history of consumerism and the history of money Mm. do you think that lots of people now in comparison to say 100 years ago see more money as more success how do you think that relationship's changed 
consumerism is obviously kind of what underpins our entire understanding of economic success. Interestingly, before the Second World War, the term consumer wasn't really used in the way it is now, um, but it was actually only um, in the post-depression era where governments and marketers were kind of set the challenge of, of like, well, how do we get, how do we kickstart the economy and get it, get it going again? Um, and so the, there was this idea of consumerism being, um, air quotes, the American way. And one economist called um, Victor Labelle famously said, we need things consumed up, consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever um, increasing rate, which now just sounds, I mean, it's horrific. And, um, but that's what's ideology. happened. Yeah, which is, which is what's happened. And, and shortly after that, um, GDP, which is the measure of economic output in a country, is was was made the main measure of economic success. So more spending equals better, basically. Um, so it has, and throughout you know throughout the last century, that's become more and more apparent. Until now, where we're all like, okay, what are we doing? Um, and you know we're becoming increasingly aware, and thankfully, of the um, the damage that that kind of ideology has on both our psychology and also the environment. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's, yeah, it's ever-evolving, and I think it will continue to evolve. Do you think that we'll return to more of a, people wanting to have longevity in their products from, like, an environmental perspective? Do you think that that's going to really impact lots of companies in the way that they're selling their products? Definitely. I think there's a big focus on, obviously, you know, anti-plastic, which is great, but I think also... There's the slow fashion movement and the interest in products that will carry you throughout your life and also quality and um, it's something I've been really conscious of on Instagram because so much of like the money money saving um, rhetoric is about like cheaper equals better which actually goes into the whole thing the whole consumerist ideology and I a lot of the time for good reason because you know a lot of the time we're being ripped off but I think it's also, if you can, think, um, again, this is thinking about the bigger picture of money, starting to think about uh, products and brands that will last you and that have, like, I, I love, um, like, lifetime warranties or five-year warranties and thinking, mm -hmm. thinking that way. And I think increasingly um, those will be the brands that are successful that can start to think about longevity mm. and ultimately... Um, think more about the consumer and what's going to benefit them over their life rather than just throwing away, you know, quick things that won't last. Yeah. yeah. When did you start your Instagram account? I started it late last year. So it was really... I'd, I'd written, or at least nearly written a book, but um, the, the book and the Instagram are a response to frustrations that I'd had with um, personal finance as it stands, but just the way that our generation particularly has spoken to about money. Um, the firstly, the obvious problem of the fact we haven't received a financial education at all, uh, but that when we are spoken to about money, I feel like it's often not relevant and it's quite out of touch to the real financial challenges that we actually face today, and also the financial opportunities. It can be really negative, um, like all the generational tropes about spending too much money on avocado toast and not drinking coffee and stuff like that, and I think we're just quite bored of being told those overly simplistic kind of conclusions about why we all can't buy houses. I wanted to give people insight into why we are where we are and the financial challenges and also opportunities. So it aims to both give you a insight into the, the basic principles 
um, but also an exploration of all those financial challenges and where we are today and also through stories not just like here's an ISA and here's Vention and, mm. and what have you but um, I love your stories they're so oh, interesting like Grace Grace Groner, Groner, the investing story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we um, talk about that? Yeah, of course. So an example of a story of a woman called Grace Groner who um, led a very humble life and um, she actually lost both of her parents but uh, was afforded the ability to go to college by a really generous family in her area. And she started working for a company and was given the option of essentially a pension uh, to pay into that included some shares in her company. Um, and she didn't think about it and for the rest of her life um, everyone kind of just assumed that she was she just lived in this little one bedroom flat and led a very humble life um, and it was only after her death that it was revealed that she'd left several million dollars to her um, US college and so the story illustrates the power of compounding um, and that the importance of leaving your investments um, be essentially and, and the power of time which obviously being a younger person is um, the thing we have most of than anyone else. Because she was 23 when she started investing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And she was born in 1909, I think. So yeah. that was a long time ago, but it just shows that these principles have actually been there for, totally. for a very long time. And it's a great illustration of what can happen if you, exactly. if you just start and then you leave it. Exactly. And so often people think that there's no point in investing specifically. Like, there's no point. It doesn't do anything. But actually... When you do the sums and you look at the power of compounding and um, the returns over mm-hmm. time, particularly in the critical thing of, in her case is that she reinvested the dividends, so the, the payments essentially that were received from those investments, she just they just went back into her pot. So yeah. over time, they just built and built and built. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, I think stories are a great way. Definitely, to I wrote um, a piece about what you need to know about money when you leave school, and I um, gave this example that when you turn eighteen, you can sign up to things like Well Simple or Wellify yeah. those apps, and if you did five pounds every month yeah. and put that in, and it was an average of seven percent return. Yeah. By the time you were sixty, you'd yeah. have fifteen thousand pounds, yeah. or you could, yeah, depending exactly. on how your yeah. investments go. But that shows like that's totally tiny yeah. amount of money, but just over that amount of time, it could build up into something much, much bigger. Exactly, and so it is little, little things are what adds up. The other thing I thought was really important to look at was your financial mindset and asking quite cutting questions about <laughs> how does money make you feel and if you earn more or you earn less how do you feel and I think all of that emotional kind of underpinning I think is so important to look at because mm-hmm. that drives so many decisions totally and actually before the book I I hadn't actually it's not something I've thought about and I hadn't really considered it and thought per, if I'm completely honest that the money mindset stuff was all a bit woo-woo and, a, and like a bit weird. It's not very me to talk about that stuff. But, um, but actually, the more I spoke to people about money and their relationship with it and the way they think about money, um, and my background's actually as a behavioural economist, so I am, I am interested in how people think about money and the way we think about it irrationally in particular. But... Um, but I realised actually I couldn't really ignore this and and actually if you look at the research the way we think about money really matters and when you think about it in emotional terms as power or status or success um, it's much harder to manage versus seeing it through a very practical kind of means to an end um, like a tool uh, not emotionally charged I realised looking into the financial mindset um, 
bit is that it's not to be too idealistic about it because, and actually it just goes for money as a whole, I think one of the frustrations is that it can be very polarising and we can talk about it like well, you're either good or bad at it um, and and actually again actually going back to behavioural economics, it's the principle that we're not perfectly rational people and we do see things through an emotional lens. It's something that really got me thinking about the way I think about money was a question that someone asked me which was would you rather live in a world where you earned £100,000 but on average everyone else earned £150,000 or would you rather live in a world where you earned say £75,000 but everyone else on average earned £50,000 so it's trying to get you to think Ooh. yeah and it's really interesting because it gets you thinking about is money and, and is money for you something that it just is something that you spend and something that you own or is it actually about having more than other people or mm. is it wrapped up in status and ego and I think for everyone it does to some extent it's for lots of people for some people it isn't like some people just like I really don't care um so yeah I think for a lot of people it's wrapped up in fear as well yeah exactly I, when I was reading through the questions so some of them yeah were, what did you think I'm um, really interested. how would you feel if you had more money how would you feel if you had less money how do you feel when you pay a bill? And I think my answer to those would basically, I'd feel more safe if I had more money, and I would feel less safe if I had less money. And when I feel when I pay a bill, I feel quite relieved. I'm like, yeah, yeah. oh, good. And so it's I, about comfort. It's about security. comfort and security yeah. and having that like cushion. Yeah. Um, I feel quite uncomfortable if I don't yeah. have that. And I think, yeah, that's that's how I feel for me. But what about you? I think that to some extent, and also I definitely have experienced before, probably less so now, the idea of like this scarcity mindset that people talk about, like the the fear that it's it's running out and that it's not going to be there and, and anxieties about what that means for your life, which can also then make it really difficult to take risks because mm. you can feel quite trapped. And if you're in, say, a job that you hate... Um, but you're you're worried like where's the next where's it coming from particularly if you're self-employed um, it's I exactly. think that's something that I've definitely experienced. Do you see changes in the way that you are spending earning money like how's that adapted since you've become or have you always been like lot talking about money a lot? I've probably come from quite an unconventional background in that I actually grew up in a house where it was really open like people were really financially open mm. um and particular and maybe this I don't know whether this is a gender thing and it comes into it but um I was in a, a family where my mum was the breadwinner which was quite unusual and she also um was an economist so it was kind of quite weird that these like financial terminologies were just thrown around all the time and I became really familiar with that and so I think that's probably quite where I suppose I've always had the um, interest, but particularly in investing, I think that's okay. where that came from, and then um, and finance and um, economics, mm. and then it was through actually probably learning more about behavioural economics and some research there that I more, was more interested in how we're thinking about money, mm. and also just my growing up the frustrations and difficulties of being a student and getting a job and as you described like that's why I'm so passionate about us thinking about money holistically and not just how we're spending it and um and trying to earn it but the whole yeah it's a whole picture mm. what did you want to be when you were like grew up 
if someone asked you that? <clears throat> Literally everything from, <laughs> I mean, how long do we have? I think I wanted to be everything from a fairy to <laughs> a vet, like everything, every career under the sun. And I still don't know what I'm doing. And I kind of wish actually that someone had said, and I wish, you know, schools did say, like, it's okay not to know what you're doing. Because yeah. no one actually says that. But also just give across this impression, which is true, that you're very likely to have very many different types yes, of careers exactly, in your yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And that that's quite normal. Yeah. And it's also really enjoyable. Totally. And it's great to have loads of different things that you can yeah. do and you don't need to narrow down to this yeah, one thing. Exactly. And it's all it's kind of the way I see it anyway, which I, I think is how some other people see it is it was always like this kind of like ladder or path that you were going yes, up. Yes, not the jungle gym. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, a reference to Cheryl Sandler, yeah, yeah, in, but yeah. if anyone hasn't read that. Exactly, and like it was always about going up, not not kind of exploring yes. and trying and changing. And Well, I love the story of um, the girl who did 25 different yeah. internships and careers in her one yeah, year. Yeah, 25 or 25. Really, exactly, a really great example of... Um, of someone who has realised, you know, early on in their career, like, I'm not sure this is for me, and and then went on to mm-hmm. try 25 different careers in mm-hmm. a year. Um, I think it's also that loads of people's careers don't exist when they are 16, 17, 18, doing yeah. exams, trying to choose what they want to do, and, and then they get out of university if they go to university, and then it's just a totally yeah. different landscape, and especially when it comes to things like tech. Exactly. Like the company yeah. literally might not exist when yeah. you're doing your exams and filling out your exactly. weird career forms. Yeah, like <laughs> I remember when when I was doing IT at school, we were learning like how to do PowerPoint presentations or yeah. I can't even remember, but certainly things that aren't aren't I wouldn't describe as like tech, you know. And I know that is changing now, but it, the point is um, that yeah, it's it's really hard to future proof yourself mm. um, and to equip yourself for. A future, which is why I think it's so important that we actually learn about we learn life skills because those are the things that aren't going to change. And actually, I asked on Instagram yesterday um, for people to uh, so you know what do they wish that they'd been taught at school but weren't. And um, obviously, the basic like financial education is massive. Learning about mortgages, um, mm-hmm. politics, but also how to like nutrition, like how to feed yourself properly, and you know. That sort of politics, stuff. I think it's a huge yeah, one. Politics is massive, yeah. Um, it's just all the taboo all subjects. The ones, Sex came up a lot. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think even things <clears> like um, or like period poverty, periods, yeah. menopause, massive yes, one. That's so true. I think yeah. you learn a lot about if you do biology, you're quite likely to learn about yeah. pregnancy and yeah. contraception and birth. But every single woman will go through that's the so menopause true. Yeah, but you don't know anything about it yeah, and so I've true. got like family friends and they're all like I've got no idea yeah. what's going what on is it? Like, you just what is it up as you go along yeah. it's really it's kind of worrying it's just not spoken about yeah it's so yeah. true so all, many things I think need to be on the curriculum mm. that aren't but yeah. me too yeah. um, so one of the things that I think I would have found very useful is budgeting learning how to budget at school yeah um what is your advice for someone who wants to create a budget so the first thing I I always say to this is that it's about being realistic and and also keeping it simple but also doing what works for you and um 
often we get, so for example, in, in the book I talk about the 50-30-20 method, but an adapted version, and I think it's really important to say that because often we're told, like, right, you should spend 50% on your needs, uh, you know, 30% on your wants, and 20% on, um, on your goals, but I think for lots of people that's kind of laughable and the idea now in like with the squeeze that we face on our incomes like the idea of saving 20% of your of your salary is ridiculous so well, it I, depends on where you <clears> live <throat> so massively totally if yeah, you are exactly. living in London then 50% on your yeah. needs is going to be difficult when yeah. your rent might be more than 50% already easily, easily. and then you've already used up your food budget exactly exactly so I think it's about being realistic and doing what you can and if you love logging all your expenditure in excel and that's what you know <laughs> you get a kick out of that not judging you do you that's fine equally if that sounds like your worst nightmare it is mine uh then i think sticking to a simple daily or weekly budget is um is a really great way to go and using apps and technology to your advantage mm-hmm. um like there are loads of brilliant apps out there like whether it's your your banking app that gives you um you know insight into your expenditure then then that can be really useful mm-hmm. how do you try and separate your wants from your needs yeah I think actually it's similar point to budgeting I think it's about being realistic there's this grey area as well which is about what matters to you and what your priorities are and so I think it's not necessarily, and who am I to say that like your morning coffee isn't something that you need to start your day, you know, like I'm not going to tell you what to spend your money on, and that's something I've kind of made a policy of, is not saying like, this is really not a good thing to to buy. I think it's about thinking to yourself, what do you want to spend your money on, what are your priorities in life, um, and what matters to you, and then making, you know, making a list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's literally just a question of looking at what your income is after tax and then dividing it up in a way that you find manageable and is not going to leave you kind of lacking loads of things and keeping on beating yourself up and feeling guilty because yeah. you keep on spending more on your totally. know, your wants yeah. Yeah, when yeah. actually there's low, there's too much of your needs that have been put into your wants yes yeah. and, and I should say like I think the first step actually is just awareness because and that's why um yeah, I think it's really important to firstly work out what you're actually spending and, and thinking to yourself, like, maybe just going over last month's or the last three months' spending, just to think, like, roughly what am I spending on these mm-hmm. categories, just and to get an idea. Your head in the sand. Yeah, totally. And, like, so I think that's the first step. And then the second step is to look at that information and to think, OK, how could I tweak this? Like, how can I maybe... Like, is this really a priority? Do I really need it? Is it? And then it kind of feeds into the emotional stuff. Like, why am I buying this? Um, and setting yourself a realistic budget and reviewing that because I think we are always too optimistic about these things and we will always like set ourselves the most ridiculous, unachievable uh, goals. And then it's really demotivating. Yeah, exactly. Because then you quote unquote fail yeah. on your budget and exactly. then you just don't want to carry on. Yeah, completely. So. Um, I think it's like a work in progress and um, reviewing it, you know, to think to, and really think like, you know, is this the best way that I could be doing it? Could I could I could I be tweaking this? Mm. What are the um, main topics of Instagram messages that you get? Do you get mm. lots of direct messages through your account? Yeah, yeah. So on a um, on a Monday, I I do this like news roundup, which is all it's uh, kind of looking at the 
financial stories of the last week and not always financial like the one pound bikini did you see the one pound bikini? I did see the one yeah. pound bikini. So it's a, yeah, a range of topics uh, and at the end I always have a little one of those little question boxes um, and ask like what are you what are your money worries questions what are you thinking about and surprise surprise like debt is a massive one um, that comes into that but um, I think also investing is probably the second there's probably the most interest around uh investing which surprises me which I, when i because i kind of i think that's a common theme from talking yeah. to lots of different people who've written books about money and who have platforms similar to yours and community yeah. groups there's a, such a huge interest in investing i think particularly from women and i think a lot of it is because I personally don't want to go and do something if I don't understand it. Yeah. And it's also not advisable to do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. But I think that this is really... Like, people just want to know about it. They mm. want to know about it, understand it, so that they can actually get on board and try it. Totally. But they yeah. also are sometimes questioning, where do I get that yeah. knowledge from? And how do I get started? Exactly. And there is actually... There's some research around it that says that you know, women do want more information before they make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's... It's interesting. Although that being said, actually, about thirty percent of my followers are, are men as well. But um, but I think investing. Uh, what else is a really big one? What worries me on the topic of debt actually is that I get a lot of stories from people who have signed up to credit agreements and not been fully aware of the consequences of that on their um, future finances and their financial life and the impact that might have on their credit scores for example and I think that's something I'm really worried and also passionate about trying to do something about is that I think particularly with these innovations in you know shop now um, or buy now pay later and stuff like that I think lots of people particularly young people are signing up to credit agreements and not being given the information Klarna for example on ASOS there are a few ways of doing it but generally it's like um, splitting your payment, splitting the payment across three months or so, and I think still there isn't really the information out there to really make a yeah a, a decision on that. Yeah. But also, as it is worth saying, the FCA have said that you, they will now have to provide more information yeah. at the point of purchase. Whether that ends up being hidden in the terms and conditions uh-huh. is, like remains to be seen. But I think you always see those sofa ads, don't you? Where it's yeah. like, buy this and you have it for this amount of APR. And if you yeah. don't know what APR exactly. means, which is annual percentage, percentage rate, rate. Yeah. and it's a kind of comparative per- yeah. um, mark of how much you'll end up paying yeah, exactly. as interest. Exactly, and it's meant to give you... It's if you don't know what that is, exactly. then, And why would you? If you've never been taught what it is, yeah. then you just go, oh, great, okay, this works, and then I don't have to pay the whole thing yeah. now and then you are caught in this exactly and I think lots of and particularly it goes slight tangent but I think particularly now in the world of social media where this whole idea of what owning you know owning has just been completely turned on its head and the idea of having things and buying things is all becoming quite confused and then it's documented on social media and it's actually really difficult to see who owns what and what's been bought in finance and and I think then that creates pressures to like if they've got a I don't know if they've just got a new car on finance then I can get one too and I think Mm. that can create um unhelpful pressures and then you throw in the lack of financial education and it's a kind of disaster Mm. waiting to happen really what's the best piece of advice you've been given about money I think best piece of advice would be to 
kind of around investing, never invest in anything you don't understand. Um, but also just more broadly, making don't make financial decisions unless you're aware of the consequences of those and you are familiar with the details because I think often we can like assume, particularly actually in relationships, I think you can often assume like the other person's kind of got it and they understand things. Whereas I think it's really important to make sure that if you're making a financial decision about anything, buying anything, investing in anything, that you're aware of the true cost and you really understand the possible impact and risk that that decision could have Mm -hmm. on your life. So it's kind of actively educating yourself. Yeah, which is where financial education can be difficult because, and why is it so important that um, companies, for example, like the Buy Now, Pay Later apps, give you information because... Yes, financial education in schools is great, but we still need better information at the point at which we're making financial decisions. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's important that we don't just conclude conversations with, you know, we need financial education in schools, because there's still, you know, there's still a huge amount of responsibility that lies with the regulators to make sure that consumers are protected and that we are given the right information, not just more information, because there's an important difference there, but the right information to make good financial decisions. What gave you the idea to do the, um, you do the, like, singers and all the, oh, yeah. and, like, the celebrities <laughs> and the, the yeah. financial tips? <laughs> I really like them, they're so good. What, where, where did you come up with that idea? Thanks. Um, yeah, I haven't actually done one in a while. I think I'm going to do um, Ariana Grande next. I haven't Love done it. it. <laughs> love it although I did I remember now the challenge is is that often the lyrics are not probably not the best sort of financial advice so um there's My a challenge in thrift shop yeah that's seen that song in yeah. a totally new light I know. read your book I know like, Macklemore was just bang on he was money. on it he was <laughs> Did you read Lily Allen's book? Yes, I did, and she I loved what she had to say about well, there's a whole chapter on money, which was really great. And I think that was that's partly why I wanted to do the um the Instagrams, because I think it makes A, it's you know, it makes it entertaining and um and relatable, but it also gets you thinking not just as money in this like this separate subsection of life that you just file under boring and like hope that you never have to deal with it it's actually like hold on this is something that affects everyone everyone's talking about money it's in culture um it's in pop culture um you know singers rappers they talk about it all the time so it's like trying to normalize it and get you thinking about how it's in every every mm-hmm. aspect of life mm-hmm. and how it works and yeah understand exactly it. exactly mm-hmm. and if that means you know, relating it to a math or more lyric, then great. <laughs> uh, so my last question is, what do you wish you'd known about money when you were 16? Great question. Um, first one would be, it would be a really good idea to buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Did it even um, exist? Like, how old is Bitcoin? How old is Bitcoin? It would almost have existed. Serious note, not so much, not just finances, but I would also say... Um, that everyone's winging it um, and no one really knows what they're doing. Thank you so much for listening to Bang on the Money. You can find out more about Alice at Alice R. Tapper on Twitter or go underscore fund underscore yourself on Instagram and you can buy her book, Go Fund Yourself, from all good bookshops. Thank you to Millie Ashbridge for the music, Amber Hass for the cover and please do rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast.